Welcome. I'm joined on Purpose to Performance this morning by my own coach, Dr. Rob Petrie. Welcome, Rob. Morning. Great to have you on board. I'm, I'm really excited about today's show because uh, we're going to be talking about mindfulness. Mm. And well, as, as you know, it's a topic that I and a whole host of my clients are constantly wrestling with and striving for. And I know it's a topic that, that you focused on for some time. And, and so I'm, I'm really expecting to get into a, a really interesting discussion about it. But before we jump in, let me just run through your, your bio. Originally from, from Bristol, now yeah. living in, in Cumbria, uh, Rob gained his PhD in quantum physics at the University of Cardiff and then went uh, and worked as a semiconductor engineer for eight years before retraining as a math teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob then became a head teacher and CEO of a large secondary school and then made a second pivot into coaching and retrained at the Performance Consultants International and completing his ICF certification. So Rob now runs his own coaching, uh, executive coaching practice, specialising in helping overwhelmed professionals reclaim their time their focus and their life. So, mm. my my first question before we get into mindfulness, just 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 briefly, I'm curious how a quantum physicist became a maths teacher and ultimately a leadership coach. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been an interesting journey. There's no doubt about that. And there's so many moments during that intro when you want to pause for tumbleweed to just roll across. You know, the the moment you mention quantum physicist. Is normally enough for most people so i hope people are still with us and then you go into maths teacher and you know it's a double whammy really i think looking back and and it is about looking back um i, I seem to have kind of a 15-year cycle so for kind of about 15 years of my life you know late teens through to early 30s i was very much into physics very much into science as you say gained a phd in quantum physics which then led me to work for a company where we moved atoms around to make semiconductor structures, things like uh, the tiny lasers in your Blu-ray player or the components go behind the screen in the smartphone. And then I just got to a point where I realized I wasn't feeling fulfilled and it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And I think at that point, I took the decision to just say, I can't spend the next 20 years of my life doing this, 30 years, 40 years of my life doing this. So I resigned and retrained as a a maths teacher. Just there, Rob, I mean, was there a a particular trigger? Was it a a sudden realisation or was it something that just became apparent to you over a period of time? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It it it's again, it's one of those things you look back on. You know, I think Steve Jobs said you can't join the dots forwards, you can only join them backwards. There was a lot of things. Um I, I really enjoyed working with the technicians who ran the machines for us when we were doing this. And these are guys who don't have science backgrounds, but explaining to them what we were trying to do. So they had a deeper understanding. And getting feedback from them that actually they were really getting it and it was adding to their their enjoyment of their role was to understand, oh, we're not just here to move levers around or, you know, do things like that. We're actually here to make this that will change people's lives and how it works. So there was that. But I also think there was a creeping sensation as well that went with it, which was I've kind of got as far as I can at this point with this career. You know, we were flying around the world, you know, meeting people from Apple, Samsung, people like that. But it was just, do I want to keep doing this? And I I think it was the first moment, Andrew, when I really became aware of that little voice that says, well, I think you should be trying something different here. Mm-hmm. So with that combination of explaining stuff, teaching was an obvious choice for me to go into. Yeah, I, I would get into the teaching. I just, you mm-hmm. know, refer- Listening to you made me think about, you know, that you can't join the dots forwards, but you can backwards. And I, and I look back on some of the major pivots in, in my career. And, yeah, I, now it seems obvious to me that, you know, the dissonance in my life was the career super rewarding, but my family's here and I'm not getting what I want yeah, out yeah. of my family life. Ooh, I need to do something. But it was, you know, I hadn't, 
I don't think I've, I definitely hadn't finished with my career. I hadn't got as far as I could. There was still opportunity there, but just this, the, the, the gnawing of this part of my life is not fulfilled. You know, I want more out of my family life. This is now more important to me than further inverted commas success in my career at this point. And I see it very clearly now and absolutely yeah, no yeah. regrets and, and thankful that I saw it, but I didn't recognize it at the time. It was just a, something didn't feel right. Anyway, yeah, carry on, carry on. Well, no, but I think that's a really important point is that you, you, you can only join those dots looking backwards. You can only do that. And you can't therefore go back and second guess those decisions. It's a really important point that we make as, as leaders, as coaches, and as just people trying to live their life is that you're making the best decision you can with the information you have right now. And yeah, then, in, information and feeling, as I say. And feeling, yeah. All, all the information, and all my colleagues thought I was nuts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, what, you, you just sort of hit your peak earning period and opportunity and you're going to jump off but for me it was just it was a feeling and for somebody who was you know quite analytical to go with a gut feeling was yeah yeah it must have been strong because ultimately I went with it but yeah and that's 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 really crucial because often as leaders and often you know in within work we can try and suppress that element when we're making a decision whether it's a gut instinct feeling, whether it's a, a voice that's telling us something, whatever it might be, but we can suppress that and try and go purely on the analytical data. And I think both of us understand that there comes a time where actually that voice is quite strong or that visceral feeling strikes you. And you think, well, I mean, without wishing to make it sound too grandiose, the feeling for me was I want to do more with my life than this. This is making some people rich this is making shareholders rich this is by all means you know pushing forward some of the science that we're working on but i want to work with people and i want to make a difference to people's lives and and i think that's carried through with me that's you know the, the journey through teaching and headship and into coaching uh, and i think sitting with that is accepting that being restless is okay to understand when you feel that and you feel restless it's not a bad thing it's it's but, you know, it's something to listen to and then necessarily to respond to. So, yeah, then went into teaching and um, love teaching. Absolutely love working with the kids and, you know, seeing that moment when their eyes light up and particularly with subject like maths. And, and teaching maths is, is, I always said it was 50% confidence and 50% competence. Because if I can get you as a child to believe you can do maths, then actually the processes are not that complicated, but it's that fear and overcoming that fear and working with children to overcome that fear of, of maths that, that really inspired me. That and a real dislike of a certain statement, which was the way some people in society feel it's okay to shrug their shoulders and say, oh, I can't do maths. <laughs> You, you wouldn't shrug your shoulders and say, proudly, I can't read. So therefore, you can't shrug your shoulders and say, I can't do maths. Because you can do maths. You, you, everyone can do maths. We just have to get you to believe it. It's that first step. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a word you hear a lot, you know. Well, parents have, you know, that I can't, it doesn't exist. If you believe you can, you can to some level. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you, you know, there is no yeah. such thing as can't. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I think breaking it down into that, into that, first of all, we're going to make this really about your confidence. So as I said, you know, nearly, well, as I, at least half of my teaching was to do with getting that belief in children that they can, whatever age they were, 11 to 18, whatever age they were, that they can do maths and they can be successful at maths. Because the process is, once you learn them, and apply them are relatively straightforward but people have a mental block and again i'm joining the dots backwards here i'm now a coach <laughs> there seems to be a parallel here doesn't there there seems to be something running through here as well so yeah loved that um and then within a couple of years because i've had leadership experience outside of school in, in industry i started to rise up uh, became a head of department then became an assistant head teacher 
a deputy head teacher quite quickly uh, and was a head teacher in under 10 years of starting my career in teaching, which is, yeah, pretty fast, pretty fast going. Um, loved it. Wouldn't change a moment of it. It's, it's an incredible job. It's an honor to have that job. It's also a huge responsibility. And the stresses and strains of it are enormous. You're pulled in a million directions. And I know leaders listening to this will, will empathize with that because I think that's one of the challenges that all leaders face is being pulled in so many different directions. Um, but also that feeling of you are directly having an impact on children's life chances. It's not all about qualifications. It's about their life chances. The school I ran had 1,350 children in it, 250 staff. So it was a big part of the community as well. It was the second biggest employer in the town. Wow. So you start to realize that, that that comes with that responsibility as well. And I think one of the challenges we all face as leaders is how we balance those different responsibilities that we have. It, 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 part of it is you thrive on that, that day-to-day hustle and bustle and, and no two days are similar. But also as leaders, we have to understand that that brings with it its own stresses and its own challenges. And that's where really I started to then think about how I could manage myself better and and how I could start to, in a way, regain control over over some of these challenges and stresses. But a wonderful time as as a head teacher and then eventually CEO uh, of an academy trust and really proud of what I achieved taking the school from being in the bottom 40% of schools in the country to being in the top 10% in four years was a, was a tremendous effort by not just me, but all of the team and all of the kids in the community as well. So I know I've left that school in a much better place than when I took it over. And that will have hopefully given some children some opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise had. And that's yeah. what matters. Sounds like a you know, phenomenal impact there in, in, a, in a really short space of time. Mm. So, so what then prompted the the next pivot out of out of that role? Very successful, running a big school, yeah, making an impact, which I know is important to you personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what prompted the switch into coaching? Well, the first thing was I got to my fifteen years again. So wow. you know, it was obviously time for a change. Yeah, the, the little voice started talking again about this. And it, and it was very similar, actually, to before when I left industry. There, there was a sense of restlessness. Uh, there was a sense of, I've taken this school to here. You know, at this point, the curve flattens off, doesn't it? You know, you've, got, you've gone through that tremendous growth uh, and that tremendous change. And now it's a different challenge of sustaining or, or small improvements, which isn't really my... My forte, my, my forte is coming in and, and that bit of disruption and that change as well to, to, to move things forwards. I'd also led from the front an awful lot, which I'm sure listeners as leaders will, will understand and will empathise with, is that to generate that kind of change, you often have to be really leading hard from the front. And I reflected on the fact I wanted to be a more rounded leader. And so coaching was an obvious sort of adjunct to this. Coaching was an obvious move to look at developing my leadership skills first and foremost. And again, the parallels, I'm, I'm struck by, again, looking back, the parallels are incredible because when I first stood in front of a class um, to deliver my first lesson, I knew immediately that teaching was what I wanted to do at that point. When I first signed up for coaching, I knew immediately when we, when we got on the coaching training, it was just like, ah, oh, this is incredible. Here I am working with people, having an impact, and I can see it. I can see it visibly, the difference that I can make to these people as I'm working with them. There's that great TED talk by Ben Zander where he talks about shining eyes. And I remember coming down during the coaching training and talking to Joanna, my wife, and her just saying, your eyes are shining again. And, and it's always been a kind of one of the, thing, one of the rules to live by. And, and I, I actually share that talk with students as they left school at the age of 18. So I asked them to watch that talk and we talked about it. it was go and do something that makes your eyes shine. And I, I can think of a, it's just a great way to live your life. 
Make your eyes shine. Make other people's eyes shine. What does making somebody's eyes shine mean to you? I think it means to me that I've made a difference to them. I think it, it means that you've unlocked that potential that sometimes as coaches, we can see very clearly in someone, but they can't see themselves for whatever reason, whatever blocks or baggage or just perspective that they have on their life at that moment. One of the powers of coaching is to help people remove all that and to almost see something that's right in front of their face sometimes, which is, oh, yeah. And we'll, we've all seen it as coaches. When you do that, somebody's eyes then just burst and they're like, that's what I want to go and do. Or that's the step I'm going to take next. That's the change I need to make in my life to feel more fulfilled. Whatever it might be that we do, that's for me the power of making someone's eyes shine is when they suddenly realize they had that answer all along. You've just helped me uncover it. And that's the power of coaching. And that's what the beauty of coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just reflecting on that, I'm thinking it's, to me, it's, it's kind of like a visual representation of that mental aha. Mm. You know, somebody's just, mm. they're there. They, they, that that, that realisation, that understanding has, has arrived. And it, yeah. it, as you say, it's a, it's a very visceral moment yeah. for, for, for both parties. And again, continuing our theme of joining the dots backwards, when you're working with a you know, 12, 13-year-old child who has convinced themselves they can't do maths and you sit down next to them and they suddenly work through a problem and they get it for the first time, there's the exact moment again. There it is. I, I didn't think I could do this. Whoa, I can do it. Yeah, it's just, and that's what you see when you coach people. Yeah, fantastic. Moving on to mindfulness. Mm. What, what is it and why is it so important? I, I came into mindfulness simply, well, I couldn't, if, if I can, I'll just share a little bit about that. I mean, in terms of mindfulness, my story is, is one of slightly of two parts. The first one is I did my first meditation session on a beach in Mexico. Uh, we, we were on our honeymoon and it was one of those things that was just offered, you know, come down to the beach as the sun's coming up. I did a meditation session about half an hour and we were meant to go straight to breakfast. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't. I, I had to sit on the beach and walk around a little bit and then sit down and then walk around a little bit for about an hour afterwards with literally with tears streaming down my face. Wow. Yeah, because the power of silence, the power of sitting and being present and being aware had such a huge impact on me and in that particular moment. And after that, I began to explore it slightly, but very slowly and tentatively. And it wasn't really until about three years ago, three, four years ago, that I started meditating properly every morning. And the reason that drove that was my blood pressure. Uh, my blood pressure at that time was ridiculously high. It literally was to the point where when I went in to have it measured, the doctors thought the first two machines were broken. <laughs> because they just I literally went in you know they put the sleeve around and, they, and it went up and then they went okay this machine uh, is obviously faulty so we'll get another one and they brought the second one in and it was the same and they went well this must be faulty we'll get this special machine that we've got and, and they calibrated and it was something ridiculous like, like I don't know 240 over 170 it was huge yeah um, and I realised then that I needed to make some changes Medication is always an option, but I needed to make some changes to my life as well. And one of them was to meditate every single day. And my blood pressure now is in is totally normal, totally normal. So it's a way of life for me. And I think, it, you, you know, you, you ask us, what, what is it? And I think one of the ways I would approach that is what isn't it? Mindfulness has a, a connotation. It has, a, it has an image associated with it. You know, you, you, maybe your listeners expect me to turn up in robes. You know, I know I have the hair for, for the monk-like <laughs> appearance, you know, but, but maybe they expected me 
to be sat cross-legged or something like that. You don't need to do anything special to be mindful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people do make that association, you know, mindfulness, meditation. And, and obviously, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a link in uh, yeah. undoubtedly, which we'll, we'll no doubt get into. But, yeah, I mean, when I first came into contact with that, I, I thought it was a bit of a misnomer. Because, yeah. you know, do we want our minds to be full? You know, you think mm. of, a, of a, the RAM on your computer, it's a problem when it's full. Mm. It means it's not functioning very, very well. Um, mm. So, it, it, yeah, to me, it was, is it full or is it? And then the sense of when I first thought meditation, the first thing you said was just, just clear your mind, you know, empty your mind. Yeah. So then we're going, well, are we full? Are we empty? And the logic in me is just like, oh, this is even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my realization was it's just a it's just a term. And it, yeah, you can argue whether it's it's helpful or 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 a misnomer. But it's really just being about it's about presence, isn't it? It's it's about just thinking about what's going on right now and and and, and somehow filtering on or managing those interferences of what might happen in the future what happened in the past and all the other things that are going on around you yeah yeah let's unpack some of that because there's there's, there's a huge amount there i mean there's that there's the the differential there between meditation and mindfulness and and i completely agree that meditation is a part of mindfulness and it is is for me. It is part of training for mindfulness because it is a process you can go through daily or several times a day that enable you to achieve the presence that you've just been outlining. Absolutely right. But I do think we, we have to address first of all the image idea that I have to go and you know, live on top of a mountain or or live in a cave or something to be mindful. Absolutely not true. Everyone can be more mindful, can be more present in their daily life all of the time if they choose to. It is a choice that we all make. And as I say, meditation is just one of those sort of steps to, to help train your mind to do that. In terms of mindful, I hadn't ever thought about it as being a full mind. I, I always think of it as it being kind of like you're being mindful. So you're being, you know, like it's wonderful. It's a kind of a qualifier, you know. Um, but I think the other issue we, we should talk about is that idea and that misconception that this is about having an empty mind it's impossible it's an impossibility because your your brain is designed to have thoughts your brain is designed to be thinking and processing all of the time so it's not about having an empty mind it's about noticing when those thoughts come in and effectively choosing what you do with them so when meditating, the choice is to let those thoughts go and to come back to our breath, because that's what we've chosen to focus on. In other situations, it might be you feel anger building up inside you. And that awareness that mindfulness and meditation brings is a choice then as to say, well, do, do I want to act on that? Do I want to become angry? Do I want to you know, follow this path? Or do I want to choose a different way of living my life? I think that's that's one of the powers of meditation and mindfulness training is that you 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 have that choice in front of you. You you have a conscious choice rather than reacting all the time. Mm. I think one thing you one word you used there that really jumped out at me was being aware that awareness. Yeah. yeah. And I think so much of the time our minds are so busy that it, it is just a clutter and, and it's just noise and it's very you don't have that awareness and therefore those choices aren't presented to you or, or they're not clear to you that all oh, right yes i am experiencing the emotion of frustration mm. yeah how you know do i want to go in with that or do i want to stay with that or do i want to do something, make a choice, make a decision, which will enable me from transition from frustration into productivity or into enjoyment or into wherever you want to go. Yeah. But the, yeah. 
before you get to that choice, you've got to be, you've got to get to that state of awareness. Yeah, and and I think awareness is a really powerful word. I mean, I actually think if if mindfulness was rebadged as awareness, it would it would unlock a lot of people's understanding of what's really going on here, because it is absolutely that presence of mind to understand and be aware of exactly what you're thinking and make that conscious deliberate choice as to whether you act on it and there's no judgment here i'm not there's no right or wrong you may choose rightly to feel angry at that moment in time but you've chosen it rather than just reacted to it and it's that it's that pause between a stimulus and a response that's what mindfulness and and meditation is all about is giving you that pause so that when something triggers you as as we all do then you have that choice to make and i think parallel to that andrew is that idea that this is always there for a journey this is never a you know a job done this is never ticked off i'm now mindful you know i mean i've got it i'm mindful because even people who study mindfulness for years are still triggered it's about having a tool in your toolbox to say how do i wish to deal with this and, and I think it's a very incredibly powerful tool that looks very simple and, and can be applied very simply and can have a huge impact, but that can really change people's lives. Because you get that moment, that one second of, of pause where you go, no, I'm not going to follow that path, or I am going to follow that path. I am going to follow that emotion. It feels justified at this moment in time. Yeah. So I think that's, that's it. Speaking from my experience, and I'm, by comparison to you, you know, relative not novice with this. When 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 you you talk about this is a tool, you know, to me that's something tangible, practical. I can get my hand hand around it and and, and choose to use it. What I've found, and I've been yeah, meditating now for just over a hundred days, um, and. I, you know, I, I think I said to you last time we, we were chatting, I, I don't know whether it's working. I've no evidence. Mm. I don't see anything. I don't, I don't have that tangibility. I don't feel that tool in my hand. But I do notice occasionally that I'm just a bit more aware in the moment. And it can be, it can be an awareness of the environment. So I'm, I'm hearing things that I didn't hear before. It's just bizarrely, I went for a walk yesterday and I heard a particular bird song and I thought, oh, I, I remember that. I've heard that. And I could, I think typically I wouldn't have noticed that. And, then, and I also spot myself entering emotions, recognizing those triggers. Mm. That's pissed me off. I'm now entering anger. Mm, yeah. Is that where I want to go? Well, no, actually, I'll just let that go. And then I can carry on being whatever I was before. So I'm sort of making that association that becoming I am becoming more mindful and the tool of meditation is, is helping me on that journey. But I still don't think of it as a tool that I can use when I want to. It's just sometimes I notice that I do have that moment of presence which enables me to make a choice. And I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful, therefore, that, you know, if I continue on this journey and, be, and, and keep working on my mindfulness, I'll have more of those lucid moments of presence in which to make a decision about what I want to think or what emotion I want to follow. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's a huge there. I mean, first of all, I, I, I heard you say the word noticing an awful lot in that. So here you are a hundred days into your meditation practice and already your reflections are that you're noticing a lot more, whether it be physical sounds, whether it be sensations or emotions, whatever it may be, you're noticing more. And that's after a hundred days. But yeah, commitment of a hundred days to achieve that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think we, we must always understand that it is, as I said, a journey, that it is, it's like a muscle 
isn't it? It's, it's like a muscle that we don't use. We don't use our awareness muscle because we are bombarded, whether it be, you know, through, through social media, through TV, wh whatever sort of medium we're talking about, we are bombarded with information and certain things trigger us and certain things don't. We're bombarded with conversations with people at work, with conversations with friends and family. All these things are going in as inputs, but we don't use our awareness muscle often, that often. There will be people listening to this who I'm sure will recall a time when they have taken a break from work, gone on vacation, gone on holiday, maybe been led on a beach somewhere and all of a sudden become far more aware of the feeling of the sand under their feet, the sound of the sea lapping on the shore, the feeling of the sun, the, the smells around them, even the smell of something like, you know, the suntan lotion or suntan oil. All of these things seem to be accentuated. Why? Because we stopped and focused on what's going on around us and brought our awareness to that. We weren't thinking about the 58 emails that we have to reply to. We weren't thinking about that upcoming meeting. But you can bring those skills to that next meeting, to those emails. That was what was sort of mm. my next question brimming is, so, okay, so how do people start to bring that awareness? How, how do they start to develop that muscle yeah. of awareness so that they can start to, to use it in the workplace? Because, you know, this is where we read constantly about burnout and stress and overwhelm. And you and I both know it because we coach a lot of people, you know, in, in the leadership space and, and yeah. business, you know, uh, executives and owners. And, and yeah, that they have all these interferences. They're bombarded with this information and pressure and decisions. And So how, how, do, how can they start to, to bring that awareness? How can they start to build that muscle? There is a wonderful, uh, there is a wonderful part in in sort of Zen Buddhism, and I don't want to go, I don't want to pull in different systems here because it, this is something that is above all of that for me. But there is a when you enter the meditation hall in a Zen temple, there is actually a plank of wood at the bottom of the door. So when you open the door, you have to physically step over this piece of wood to go through the door, to enter it. And the whole point of that is not to trip the monks up. It, it is purely there to make them stop and pause and deliberately enter the room. So for our leaders, that for me is the key to beginning to bring awareness, is to take the moment to stop and pause. One of the things I, I often say to people is before you enter a meeting room, the door is shut. Put your hand on the door handle and just take three deep breaths, just in through the nose, out through the mouth. Let Feel your shoulders just sinking down a little bit. And just focus on that feeling of your chest expanding as you're breathing in and, as your, and your whole body softening as you breathe out. Three breaths on that. It's a deliberate act of bringing awareness to you, bringing awareness to your breath, but also allows you to let go of the last meeting that maybe you've just run from or, you know, the, the last Zoom call that you've been on or the whatever it is, the conversation you've just had in the corridor. It just allows you to bring a little bit more focus in three breaths and then enter the door and go in. Ideally, put a smile on your face and go in through that door and start that meeting. And, and this is the beauty of mindfulness and the complexity of it is that it seems simple and easy. And, and I think always one of the things I would say to leaders is find time in your day to come back to your breath. Because mm. your breath, your breath is the, is the first thing you did when you were born. It will be the last thing you do when you die. Yeah, it's a, uh, the word that sprung to mind was anchoring. Mm. You know, it just, as you say, it's that it's that thing that just forces you to stop, to just slows you down, bring you yeah. back to some 
I, I guess yeah that state of awareness that this is where I am I'm I'm okay I'm I'm still breathing I'm yeah. not under immediate threat and therefore I can just yeah. step into the next meeting the next decision the, the next piece of work that I need to focus my thoughts on yeah letting go of the interferences we we spend so much of our lives either in the past or in the future or an imagined future. Whereas what we really want to be doing is bringing more of our time and our focus to this present moment here and now. And I think if, if we were to imagine this idea that we had you know, two huge bags full of you know, heavy weights and one of them is our past and one of them is our future. And that's what we're doing is we're walking through life, dragging these bags with us. And what mindfulness and meditation and just simply returning to your breath allows you to do is, even if it's just for a few seconds, is just to drop those bags. And imagine how it feels to suddenly just be here and be in this moment, knowing that you're ready, knowing how you want to be in this meeting, knowing that you're prepared, but knowing that you've let go of the baggage of what's just happened. And equally, you've let go of that pressure of expectation of what is to come and you're just here for you right now as a leader and i think that's that's something that we can take with us in, in all different scenarios so i i think you know if leaders could find time at lunchtime to just stop and even if it's only for a minute to focus on their breaths just to find somewhere quiet just to sit and just breathe for a, for a minute or two minutes. It, it's a tremendously re-energizing and refocusing practice that it's easy to let go of, but you have to then make it into a habit and make it into a ritual. So that's why, I mean, I come back to the idea about the door because the doors are all around us. If every time you went through a door, instead of just stepping through it, you just took a second to breathe, what would happen? Mm. Uh, that that dropping the bags was a, a really powerful visual metaphor for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I can imagine, you know, and again, it, it also relates to the door, you know, to, to grasp the handle, you have to put down the baggage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. just listening to it. And, and just when you, you said dropping the bags, I could almost feel that. Yeah. You know, when you shot, you let your shoulders relax. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you do feel, centered and relaxed i guess then when that, that yeah i think that's incredibly useful incredibly powerful the challenge then in terms of the next step is you you reconnect you recenter you take those breaths but then immediately starts all the interferences again you know yeah. the phone's bleeping the emails the notifications da, 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 da. and i think you know this is this is why it's my interpretation, my, my guess, is that this is why you know, stress, burnout are becoming more prevalent because technology is just bringing more and more and more interferences. Yeah. So, you know, short of, of stopping and taking a breath every 30 seconds, which is you know, clearly not going to do much for our productivity, how else do we then start to combat all these interferences that, that keep then attacking that, that presence that we've we've before i answer that there's a couple of things you said that i would i would just challenge i think and the first thing is your breath is always there your breath is always there so actually you can always return to the breath you can always return to the breath and it may well be you have to have a period of of intense activity this is not you know not doing anything other than sitting and breathing but this is very much about yes i have to focus on this but i can always return to my breath if i feel that sense of awareness of the stress building i can stop and just take one two three ten breaths so i can do that and you also said that wouldn't do much for our productivity i think it would I, I think, think you'd be more um, productive. Yeah, I, I agree in terms, of, and I've experienced this. If, if I, I know if I take those few moments 
to get really present before I do something. You know, say I'm going to write mm. a blog. Mm. If I if I go into it without clearing my mind, I, I, I suffer from these inferences. I don't get flow. Yeah. yeah. But when I when I get centered and I get into that flow, you know, I can bash out 800 words in half an hour. It doesn't yeah. feel like work. I'm just in, the, you know, people talk about it in sport and work, mm. music, you're in the flow. I, th- I think what I was saying was if you if you have all those interferences and therefore you're constantly having to come back and recenter and recenter and recenter and recenter, that's going to interfere with productivity. So mm-hmm. what 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 I'm my, my point was what else do we need to do to try and reduce some of the the interferences? So that yeah, once yeah. we've got that centeredness, we can stay in that flow and, and not have to constantly reset, reset, reset because the inferences are there. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a huge number of things here that we can do. You know, the, the number of people who, who go through life with notifications on, on their phone always amazes me. I think it's, it's one of my first questions when I work with somebody who's feeling overwhelmed is, show, show me your phone settings. Because if you've got notifications on, then let's switch them off. And by all means, go back in and say, no, I really want to make sure I, I get a text from my wife or my kids because it's really important. You know, all phones can do that now, set VIP settings and things like that. But all the other notifications, what's happening on the news, what's what's beeping through, you don't need them. Switch them off. Switch them off. That That's a, a game changer is to be in, again it's about control i am in control of what input is coming into my life at this point and therefore switching off notifications on your phone is is huge there are there are so many things here that we could also do you know let's not we've always got more work to do than there is time to do yeah i think it was the guy from intel wasn't it, it was andy grove from intel who, who first said that so there's always more work to do than you have time to do so let's prioritize things let's Let's reframe what a successful day looks like. So every day I I make a note of three things I want to achieve today. And some of them can be big, some can be small. But if I achieve those three things, I've had a great day. I've had an amazing day. I've still got 312 other things (laughs) that need doing. It doesn't stop those things. But it reframes how at the end of the day, I view that day as a success or not. Um, other things that spring to mind that may help listeners to this every now and again when you feel that sense of overwhelm grab a big sheet of A4 paper and just write out every single thing that you feel you have to do every task that is on your mind this is um, this is a process from a guy called David Allen's uh, system called Getting Things Done it was very prevalent in the sort of early 2000s and that that simple act of getting everything out of your head and onto a piece of paper is a very releasing experience. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, buy the company or buy cat food. Get, get the whole thing out. So you've just got a massive, massive list of all of those things. Get it out of your head because, as, as David Allen says, your mind is a wonderful place to have ideas and it's an awful place to try and hold on to them. So therefore, really put that thing down on paper. And I do think paper works. I think there is something about grabbing a pen or pencil and a blank piece of paper and just almost kind of like splurging all this stuff out of your head and getting it down onto paper. And then you step back and you just get that feeling of like, right. And now you can start to look at it calmly and say, what do I need to work on next? What What is the priority here? Yeah, but but it's all that thing of, at the moment, it's all buzzing around in here and cat food and company and, you know, shareholder meetings. As a, you know, all those things are all juggled together with by the anniversary present. Oh, hang on. The warning light came on on the car this morning. Yeah, you know, it's all jumb, jumbled up. Get it out. And now let's start somewhere with a small action that we can take. Yeah, there's a couple of things there. That idea of choosing three things. And, and ticking them off, getting them done. Because I know a lot of people, you know, we, we start something and then we go on to something else and we go on to something else. Yeah. So we do a lot. We don't yeah. finish a lot. Yeah. And, and, and that, 
tends to lead to that feeling of, well, these things are still on the list. So I haven't had a productive day. You know, so when you get to the end of the day, you're not celebrating. Yeah, I've finished that. That's done. Yeah. Well, can, I, can, I dive, can I just dive in on that? Sorry, just one extra point. Do it on paper. I'm not anti-tech by any means. I have, you know, electronic task manager, yeah, all that sort of stuff. But do it on paper because the biggest downfall of electronic task managers is when you tick the box, the task disappears. So it's gone. And at the end of the day, where is it? I've got to go and find it again. If I've got it on a piece of paper or in my notebook in front of me, one, two, three, oh, yeah, I crossed them off. I can see that I've achieved something. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing was hmm. when you get it all down on the list, and this is something I read the other day and just made me, made me think about it, and I haven't, I haven't got to a conclusion yet. It was just an, oh, that's an interesting thought. You write down everything's on the list, and then how do you prioritize it? You know, and is it you know urgent? Is it important? We've been all, mm. all those sorts of things. But yeah, this guy said, split it into three lists: the things you want to do, the things you need to do, and the things other people want or need you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I kind of. I, I think the, you know we've all been there with the Eisenhower matrix, important, urgent, and all that sort of stuff. And I and I think there are more nuanced systems like that that are really important. I'd add a fourth list, which I think everyone should always have with them, which is a not do list. What are my things that are on my not do list? I'm not doing that anymore. That I commit to doing, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really useful list for people to have. And and you know it can be I'm not turning up to meetings late, or I'm not gonna take that piece of work home with me you know that kind of thing whatever it might be i think that's a really important thing what i tend to work with people on is when they've done that list is to look at in terms of four areas which is what's the stuff i need to do as in it's it's really in my face right now what's the stuff i can delegate what's the stuff i can defer so it doesn't have to happen today and what's the stuff i can just delete because a tremendous amount of stuff that we carry around with us is actually stuff that's you know, been in our heads for days, weeks, months, years, sometimes even. And, and we often find one of the biggest things we can do is just go down that list and go, well, actually, that's no longer relevant. Yeah, I, I like that. The four, the four Ds, mm. delegate, defer and delete. Yeah. 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 Just gets you that perspective. Yeah. And I think, I think when as you say, when you, you, you get everything down and the feed the cat by the company, it then prompts you to think, I think, a bit broader about what's really important to you. Yeah. What's your purpose on on earth, in life, and, and everything else? And I think when you – and, again, I find this a lot talking with entrepreneurs, you know, the, the, the good ones have that ability to, to be able to come down to six feet and understand what's going on in the business, but they spend yeah. a good period of time at 30,000 feet – yeah, looking at where we're at, where the environment's yeah, yeah. going. Yeah, and I think that's something that we all bene- can benefit from is, is coming out of the day-to-day and the must-dos and everything else and going, okay, what's what's really important here? What do yeah. What's really important to me? What do I want? Is this, you know, how's this contributing to the life that I want to live? And I think that's crucial because I think we we need tactics and we need strategy here, much in, in the same as in running any business. So we need those day-to-day tactics like getting everything out of your head, like using the four Ds or the three lists, whatever it may be, or putting your hand on the on the door handle and taking some breath. We need all those tactics, but we also need that bigger strategy. And I think one of the things that coaching helps people with is to take that step back and start for for some people for the first time ever really picture what they want their life to look like so what's really important for them what are their core values what are the how do they want to spend the rest of their life and how do they want to lead a meaningful life and an impactful life and i think that's where we as coaches can really support people is we give them the space and the time and the tools and the the support to actually step away and go, but okay, if I if I phoned myself back 
from three years in the future or five years in the future, what would I want it to sound like? What would I want to be saying to myself? Yeah, and is it more of this that I'm doing in the day to day, or is it actually something totally different? And then how do we help you start to take those steps towards what that created future looks like? I think we, there, is a, there is a danger that we, we follow that trajectory of here's where I am and, and here's where my future says I am. And actually, here's where my created future could be. And, and for me, coaching and, and mindfulness and awareness is an important, crucial part of coaching. Coaching enables you to jump between, from one to the other, to jump from the, the kind of the future you're on to the future you wish to create. Yeah, great. I mean, that sort of brought us around full circle of these pivots in life and Mm. these moments where of of awareness. Yeah. Am I on the right trajectory? Is my strategy right? And and that gives you the insight to to make those adjustments and make those wise choices about what you want to do, what you don't want to do. And, And I really like that. Yeah, don't do a list. Yeah, and I think there's there's a couple of other for people, you know, nuggets if they're listening that they want to pull out. One I would say, and particularly in this current sort of day and age with people working from home, have a shutdown routine at the end of your workday. Have a series of steps, and if needs be, have it on a post-it note on your monitor, you know, write down, this is what I'm going to do. So is it, I'm going to check emails one last time. I'm going to clear my desk. I'm going to, whatever it may be, you know, I'm going to get the papers ready for tomorrow and put them on my desk so they're there for the morning. I'm going to write tomorrow's big three. You know, there's a whole host of different things it could be. I'm going to sit and breathe for a minute. Whatever it is, find a shutdown routine that that works for you and stick to it. Because we are now in that situation, aren't we, where work is is all around us all the time, if we let it be. And therefore, we we take it with us, whether it's in the car driving home, and then when we get home with the family, or whether it's the 10 steps that it takes to go from your home office to the living room, you know, it doesn't matter. And I'd say it's more crucial in that situation. Have a routine where you know you're shutting down for the day. When I, when I was head, part of mine would be to take my office keys and to put them in the outside of the office door. And then if anybody came in to see me, they would see my keys were in the outside door and they knew because I spoke to them about it. I'm shutting down now. I'm, I'm going home. You know, and if this is really urgent, if there's a child protection issue here, come in. If not, can it wait? And of course, often it can. It can. Yeah. But it was a mental signal to me and other people. I'm now transitioning out of work mode so that I can switch off. Yeah, and again, my the, the first thought that popped in my head was that logging off your computer or, or shutting your phone down. And we all know that the curse of a mobile phone battery, one, it, it gets to a point where it can, just can't go any, on any longer. It needs to be recharged. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, the, the batteries don't last forever. Mm. So use them wisely, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, in life we own we all have a finite period of time use it wisely and make sure you charge it recharge it frequently so that you can you can live the yeah. best life while you have yeah. it and and part of that is about us setting our own boundaries you know i think as i think as leaders we are very very good at being clear on boundaries with other people often you know, leaders are often incredibly skilled at delegating. They're often incredibly skilled at running meetings. They're very skilled at people skills as well and relating to people. Where I think the work then and where meditation and mindfulness helps leaders most is actually looking at themselves to say, what are the boundaries I want to set? You talked earlier about, you know, in your role, actually you realize that your family was something that wasn't getting the attention that you wanted it to have. So then you have to set different boundaries. And, and for me, something as simple as having a simple routine at the end of every day where you go, these are the steps where mentally I now transition out of work mode into being present with my family. And it, it just enables us to keep that next moment of presence. 
Yeah, no, I agree. It's incredibly important. Uh, last week's discussion I had with, with a very successful entrepreneur, uh, somebody I admire, because I, I described her as being the most balanced mm. successful entrepreneur I know, because I know a lot, but yeah. most of them are quite obsessive about their businesses, which is what you know partly what's fueled their success. But there's been consequences, and, and whether that be you know family life, married life, personal health, lots of things. But when I was talking to to Patricia about her success and and, and her balance, it was that yeah she just she just had those boundaries, and she realised all the things that were important in her life, and and business was a part of it, it was but it was not the be all and the end all, and family and friends and a health and a life and a marriage and a, a family, a kids. They all were, were crucial parts, and, and she, you know, I think for me, I just hold her up as a absolute shining light in, in in that sense compared to a lot. And and some people I coach, you know, as entrepreneurs, they are obsessed about their business. They have the, the they feel the frustrations of the things that are missing in their lives, but sometimes they struggle to see that it's it's the thing that's make you know part of what's making them successful over here and it's just really helping them explore well if you dialed it down a little bit not take it away not stop stop that passion and uh, and belief and commitment to your company but just to to as you say have those periods where you shut that off and you open this up um would, would enable them to to enjoy a more balanced life it is also incredibly simple because it is all around us. And, and again, I come back to our earlier comment about how complex we can try and make this part of our life, this meditation, mindfulness, awareness. You know, it, I think where, where you are and where I am today, it, the sun is shining. And I was talking to somebody about this uh, who is an entrepreneur and who very much is in that category of, of absolutely growing his business at a tremendous rate, tremendous success. Why not just go and sit outside for five minutes with a cup of coffee? without your phone, go and sit outside in the sun, feel the warmth of the sun, hear the birds singing, smell, smell that coffee, literally, you know, <laughs> wake up and smell that coffee because that's mindfulness. Because all I'm doing right now is being here and being in that moment. And then I'm actually going to be a better entrepreneur. I'm going to be more effective. I'm going to, you know, have perhaps even have more ideas. We all know those are the times when that breakthrough idea suddenly pops into your head is when you stop, not when you're running at 90 miles an hour. It's the old shower syndrome, isn't it? You know, in the shower there, and all of a sudden, that's where I have my great ideas. And mindfulness just enables you to have more pockets of that during the day. Yeah. The thought that springs to mind is when you come back from holiday, mm. you all come back with, oh, I've had all these great ideas. You know, so by doing nothing helps at first recharge and then the the product of that recharging is all that fertile creative thought yeah. take place because you've created some space yeah and creating that space is crucial just on the holiday one other interesting go the other side of that when are you at your most productive at work it's the week before you go on vacation why because there's a boundary yeah deadlines yeah because there's a stop there and then you recharge. And then, as you say, you come back full of ideas. So, again, it's that combination of we need the tactics, but we also need that space to be able to go above everything and go, where do I want to take my business in the next few years? And that's not going to happen in the day to day. But it is going to happen if you create that space and bring that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, I, I, I knew this was going to be a great discussion. Um, <laughs> And, and and I would love to go on for another hour or another another. <laughs> yeah. um, it's been been I think you know incredibly powerful. I think there's some great tips, hacks, uh, thoughts, and ideas for for people to take away from it. So so I hope our listeners have have mm. made lots of notes like I have. And I'm just yeah super grateful for you sharing your time, sharing your thoughts, uh, and, and and really helping create a, a, a great discussion this morning so thank you Rob. Yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope we, we've enabled listeners to just understand there isn't this mystery around meditation and mindfulness it's something everyone can do and it comes back to your breath. Yeah thank you and just before I close 
Mm. I'm sure people listening to you will have, as I have, you know, you coach me, found you an incredibly insightful person and, and, and a great listener and, and some great thoughts. And, and I know you help a lot of people through your coaching. So if people do want some some help or to have a conversation with you about some of these topics, how, how, how do they get in touch with you? I think the two best ways would either be to connect with me on LinkedIn and then message me. So that's Dr. Rob Petrie on LinkedIn or to email me at rob at drrobpetrie.com. I guess we can put a little, we can put that in the link. Yeah, I'll definitely put, uh, put all the details in the uh, in the show details. So great. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, I'm sure you got an awful lot out of this morning session and uh, I look forward to hooking up with you in the next one. Please share, like and subscribe as you wish. And thanks for now. Bye.